I know I've thought before, you wonder what sort of difference you're making in the thoughts of the people to whom you're preaching. And you see things that these people who, whom you love and whom are, who are good people, um, Christian pe- believing people, but you see things that they put on Facebook, uh, there are things they share, content they share that gives you windows into how they think and what they believe, opinions that they express at church or to you interpersonally. And it can feel as though such a large person of your church just already has their minds made up about everything. And and even if they're hungry for a word from the Lord, it's possible that they're not looking to the ministry staff at their local congregation for that word. They've got their own podcasts, they've got their own Christian celebrities, and they're being they're being discipled, willingly discipled by these other people. So then, as a minister, it's just delicate, tricky. How do you? What do you say in in the cacophony of voices and? Um, how do you add to that or how do you slice through it and do some good in your church? And then you you labor through a difficult season and you pray and you work to hold the congregation together. And you still then see people who walk out the door because the church didn't handle this thing during the pandemic well. And you think, I'm, I don't know that I can, I don't know if anybody can do this. Is my work making any difference? Are people listening to, to what I'm saying? Is God using this? Something happened in, in the midst of this culture. What you're describing, your experience is all of a sudden now. And it's an intentional Well, Matt Love, welcome back to Faith in the Folds, my friend. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Yeah, great. Grateful to uh, get to share some moments with you, Kevin. Good, good. I am going to remind everybody to go check out our interview from, man, I think it was 2021. So I'm coming up on two years of the podcast with about 60 or so episodes in and uh, Matt you were one of the first ones and it was a I basically asked you a question about kind of growth and ministry really to start us off this morning I wanted to ask um, ask you to just update us with what are you doing these days how are you uh, proceeding along in school give us uh, you know kind of update us on what's going on and and that will very naturally lead into the other topic that I wanted to cover today right well uh i was going going to mention that i'm grateful to be back on after seeing some of your guests who are pretty prominent figures in in the church and so um feel honored to be not just on the front end of that but now coming back back are you talking about luke dockery Yes, Luke Dockery, <laughs> chiefly Luke Do- Dockery, um, and then others, you know, minor figures like Ben Witherington or um, yeah, whoever. So yeah, Lynn Kohick, uh, Nijay Gupta, Craig Keener, the great folks. I uh, got got to run into basically all those people at uh, SBL back in November, and it was it was really fun being able to go up to a couple of them. It's like, hey, thanks for being on Faith in the Folds. It's good to meet you in person. Yeah. 
them. Yeah, so so neat to, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in my education is some of the the networking, the doors that it opens just to relationships to know those people, um, is just a neat gift. Yeah, definitely. So but Matt, we, what have you been up to, man? Yeah, um, I've I'm still working at the church um, that I was at a year ago, and mm-hmm. I've been here now for 12 years. I'm still preaching, and it it feels um, like we are moving, have moved through the post pandemic era. Still mm-hmm. in it, some um, it's definitely still in the background, but that feels good. That church seems to be a lot more normal what i would call normal yeah i'm grateful for that uh my family's doing well we are expecting one in two months wow congratulations thank you thank you we don't know yet if it's a boy or a girl we're going to wait and find out at the birth wow okay the the way uh, the way people did it for literally thousands of years (laughs) yeah so we have one of each and so our third and we thought it'd be a great great one to just be surprised on yeah um we've got stuff for boys and girls so it's like you know the grandparents aren't as in our faces about um giving things embroidered uh, <laughs> that kind of thing on the front end yeah so, you definitely sound like you've been through this a couple times <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um that's great so, so ministry and family are good and in my doctoral studies i am at baylor university mm-hmm. at the Truett Seminary and their PhD in preaching program. Yeah. I what I am in the very first class to move through that. I, I was in the inaugural uh, cohort yeah. and still in that. Um, at this point, I'm ABD. I uh, had my comprehensive exams uh, about a month ago, month and a half oh. ago. And um, how, so that, how are those? You know, they were, they were fine. Um, they were some some good work on the front end that we had to submit and then that week was um, still stressful and emotionally taxing but it mm-hmm. was doable and and then you know we preached also since it's a phd in preaching preaching was part of that um, so that was this that's the strange thing that i was mostly nervous about was the sermon and not really the of it for whatever reason i just i didn't want to bomb the sermon sure and I would think the sermon forward. is the thing you have the most control over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's how the other <laughs> students felt. And I did not feel that way. And, and you know, seven years of preaching experience, and right. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's it's a strange, I don't know if this relates to you at all, but being in a PhD program, you initially have like an imposter syndrome to a degree yeah. of like, I don't belong here. I don't, I'm not as smart as these people. If they only knew um, that I, that I don't belong. And then at some points you think, you know, no, I, you know, I, I am as um, I do belong. And it's, it's not necessarily about being the, the brightest crown in the box. Um, but then even being at this point, all but dissertation, I, at points I, I look back on preaching, I think I don't, there's so much that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I still feel like uh, a, a traveler through this land of preaching. And I don't know if you feel that way with New Testament studies where you, you just think, I just know so little still. 
and I'm supposed to be an expert. Yeah, and that's that's especially prominent coming up uh, because I'm going to be teaching an intensive course at Harding School of Theology uh, this spring semester as New Testament survey. Like I know the Gospels pretty well. Um, I know I know certain of Paul's letters really well. I've yeah, uh, I've had enough of an interest in Revelation to be able to talk. I think competently about it, but that still leaves a lot of the New Testament. You know, some of Paul's bigger letters. Romans is just so massive. I, I can I know my favorite verses out of Romans. You know, Second mm -hmm. um, Corinthians is the the poor stepchild of the Pauline epistles that people just don't really know that much about compared to First Corinthians. Um, and there's a lot more, especially in some of the general epistles that I, I can speak competently on, but to be able to carry carry a conversation during an intensive course or just to be able to answer really any potential question that comes up, it's like, like man, that's that's daunting. Yeah, imposter syndrome is is real. Um, thankfully, thankfully, I know that for my New Testament studies at Asbury, uh, HST prepared us incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Pavo Tucker, Jordan Guy, and Garrett Best, but also the same thing, you know, three other guys from HST went to Asbury and we were all kind of there. We all overlapped uh, for at least a, a little bit. And I know they would all say that they, um, they were really well prepared. So I'm really pleased with, with the education that I got at HST, even though it doesn't have the name brand recognition, like, uh, you know, like a Truett Seminary or somebody, some other place like that. Where you could go from there, get your master's, onto you know, onto maybe a Duke or a you know a Yale or someplace or an Emory or someplace like that, set fairly easily. Yeah, uh, you know, hear those air quotes, right? Fairly easily, but um, man, HST prepared us incredibly well. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I, 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 as far as the preparation goes for the coursework. In the doctoral at the doctoral level, I I felt prepared by by HST in, in the very same ways that you're you're saying. Yeah. So Matt, as you're getting a PhD in preaching, um, talk to us a little bit about what all that entails. Normally, I would think that that might be uh, something that one would pursue maybe a doctor of ministry for, um, but that's not what you're doing. You're getting a PhD in preaching. What kinds of things? do y'all do in a PhD in preaching uh, program? Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of this, I, I, I don't have uh, intimate knowledge of doctoral uh, doctor in ministry coursework uh, mm -hmm. and, and don't have any other experience in any other PhD program. So I, I have a very anecdotal uh, limited experience sure. in, yeah. in this program. Um, several things come to mind. I mean, um, and and some of these will overlap with the, with a demon or a demon with a focus in preaching. But I've been really grateful at Baylor that there's been a practical emphasis in our in our preaching. Mm -hmm. um, probably at least half of my coursework we've had to preach, which is really strange. Um, when you think of a PhD level, I, I don't think that that's typically something that's required of of most programs. Along with that, we're doing the, the, the coursework is uh, seminar, our seminars, um, mm -hmm. so that we're doing a lot of presentations, one or two presentations uh, 
um, every week of class that we have, but then also that practical component of preaching. So, um, which I'm I'm grateful for as a practitioner of preaching that this is not just abstract or or theoretical, but yeah. Yeah. the degree is designed to help me become a better preacher, and then also to help me help others become better preachers. So this isn't um, the the design of this program isn't just a theoretical abstracted um, study into homiletics. Yeah as as great as that might be but for for myself and i would say most if not all of my classmates this is that's the sort of emphasis that we that we want is something that's going to end up truly impacting the church local congregations in direct ways um so preaching and then feedback from classmates and from professors on that uh, which has been really rich um, I think one of my favorite things at the doctoral level is having not just your professor, but everyone in the room is in some sense a professor. And I guess that's true all the way back at a master's level too, that you benefit from community and from others' perspectives. Yeah. But so neat that, you know, in my class, I've got 10, I mean, at this point with three or four cohorts coming through 10 or 12 different uh burgeoning experts in this you know in this field yeah. who are who are kind of like me and it's easy to think that as a preacher depending on the community of people that you have that you feel isolated or there's there's not many people like me in the world um or if you have a scholar a scholarly interest in homiletics and still emphasize preaching and working in the church you think how many people like me are there? And to just see people who think like I do, who spend their time like I do, who care about the things that I do has been pretty awesome. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I also found it interesting too, when you said that you're not just, you're not just working on yourself becoming a better preacher, but also you feel like you're getting training to help others become better preachers matt can you for someone who does not enjoy preaching like myself that is <laughs> i that is one thing that um <clears throat> that i just I, I i'm happy to do it when i need to but i much prefer teaching in a bible class setting or something along those lines um for someone like myself who doesn't necessarily enjoy preaching uh, what kinds of things have you been doing to help others uh, or what kinds of things have you been learning to help others get better at preaching? Well, that's a big question. That's like, <laughs> what do you do to help someone become healthier and you know, physically healthier? It's like, oh, there's a lot of things. Um, give, give us one or two really, really juicy tidbits, and then we'll move on to uh, what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time. Well, I think that less is more. And um, there is one of the things that I've been learning about my own preaching is the need for clarity. It, you know, your message that you're trying to deliver may be crystal clear to you, or you may think that it is. And then when it comes out 
after the end of the 30 minute sermon, no one in the room really knew what you were talking about yeah. or however many people there are in the room have that many different ideas of what you were saying. There's not a clear, this is what this person was really driving at in the sermon. <laughs> and um, one of the things that's really helped me a lot is uh, not starting writing my manuscript too soon. And I'm a manuscript preacher and I usually use notes when I e preach. Explain that for maybe people who don't know what you mean by manuscript. Yeah, so manuscript is basically every word of the sermon that I'm going to say. Yep. And that doesn't mean that I only say those words, but the the sermon on paper is an entire sermon. There's not gaps in it. It's not just an outline yeah. uh, of moves or whatever. So every the complete sermon I've put on paper during the week and then hopefully internalized it to a fair a fair degree where I can not get up and read this, but um, refer very minimally to my notes. And mm. some of my pro professors would say, don't use notes. And a lot of my classmates would say, don't use notes at all. But I, I kind of have the crutch still of of using them. Um, but yeah, so the the manuscript, what I'm tempted to do is try to get the sermon done. And one of the ways to try to get it done is start writing that manuscript and then get it all out. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've learned that's really helped my preaching is not to start writing too soon, that um, I need to develop my central idea, what I'm really trying to say, and then um, a, a very strong outline. And mm -hmm. if I can, if I can do those, if I can get the parts really clear in my mind and how they fit together and what I'm trying to say, then the writing is a cakewalk. It's, it's easy. And, and the sermon is so much stronger and so much clearer. Um, I don't, I don't ramble. Um, and people always appreciate that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. that's one tidbit that I'd, I'd throw out there. Clarity, the importance of clarity. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And especially for, for those who uh, tend to preach a little bit longer, um, the, the a focus on clarity can help maybe tighten that up a little bit and focus it a little bit more. Um, you know, it's one thing to know what you're going to say, right? And then, you know, kind of feel the spirit move you a little bit. So you just lean a little more heavily into one of your points, go off script a little bit. Um, I also manuscript my sermons word for word. And I, I am at that point, I have thought about what I want to say. And so what I'm doing then on stage is performing that, not in a crass or disingenuous way, but I, I think I think you would understand, but maybe the audience might not catch catch that, that to some degree it is a performance. I, I'm wanting to evoke certain responses in the crowd. I, I'm hoping that people will think about what I've said. I'm hoping that um, they'll be moved, convicted, encouraged, you know, whatever is necessary. But occasionally, I'll uh, I'll even tell our guys who are running the slides in the back, it's like, guys, I'm gonna go off script for a second, and so they'll just keep their finger there, where where I am, and then I, um, you know, I'll I'll riff on a point a little bit more, um, more closely, a little more carefully, and one that's really more um, pastorally pointed to what I know for a fact our members are dealing with at that time 
Um, but yeah, I, I like that focus on focus on clarity. So, Matt, you gave us uh, a couple of months ago now on Facebook this absolutely dynamite post entitled "How Can I Support My Minister." And I can't remember if I saw this from you first or if I had seen it from some mutual friends first, but I clicked on it, and based on all the shares that I had seen, when I clicked on it and this massive tome came out <laughs> on this post, normally I just I just breeze past those. It's like, man, yeah. don't use Facebook as your blog. <laughs> that's usually how I that's usually yeah. how I how I respond to those. Oops. But because of who all had shared it, I thought, okay, well, they thought this was worthwhile. I'll, I'll give it a look and uh, and read through here. And then I really enjoyed what all you said in this post that I will link to in the, in the description below. You talked a little bit about how it was alarming to you and to many others to hear about recent trends in in ministry, particularly ministers leaving congregational ministry settings uh first off start us off just kind of briefly what is going on with congregational ministry and you know why are so many ministers seeming to to abandon their posts at congregational ministry well that's a big question um i, I do not claim to be an expert here in in this except these anecdotal um you know articles that i see online or some podcast conversations, but mainly what engendered that post were personal conversations and, mm -hmm. and overhearing about situations of people who are either leaving ministry, considering leaving ministry um, completely, or or looking for a, another congregation. And that's been a trend for the last few years. I think it's been exacerbated by the pandemic uh, era of the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But uh, really troubling to me to hear so many people who are stepping away from their current posts, looking for something else, entertaining those ideas more than ever. And I think that that's troubling for not just ministers, but for churches, and as someone who um, believes in preaching, I believe in a strong pulpit, and someone someone has said probably a couple hundred years ago that strong churches are not built around weak pulpits, and that doesn't just mean the oh, preacher, yeah. but I think we could include in that leadership in general, and, and if you zoom out even more then, um, to your ministry staff, to shepherds and deacons, leaders in the church, I think you could see a similar discouragement even in those leadership posts, uh, a similar trend of discouragement of anyone who's trying to lead in any capacity the church. So, yeah, I think that that's troubling, not just for the career of ministry, but I think it's troubling for the church. And it, it's not surprising since, as I think everyone is aware that the the um, the church in the West and the church in the United States, we could say, is um, I, I wouldn't say that it's 
as strong as ever. I think that the ground is shifting and has shifted underneath of us, and uh, many of us feel the the impact of that. So along with that comes this uh, small, at least, exodus from ministry or yeah. from this church to that church. Um, and as someone who, I don't want to pride myself in this, but I, I think I do care about the church um, in general. I care about my church. And um, I hope that churches would have strong leaders, good leaders, good teachers. Um, yeah, it's... it's um, disconcerting to me troubling yeah yeah <clears throat> you mentioned in this post that um you think ministers are facing a, a crisis of meaning right. um what what do you mean by that and how did that happen yeah. and i'm thinking here of the COVID era uh, in particular, and again, my my experience in ministry is pretty circumscribed to BB. I've been here for over 12 years, mm -hmm. and before that, I was at Harding undergrad, and before that, I was at my church growing up in Ohio. So I have a very limited experience uh, in, in the church, even if I've been working in, in this church for over 12 years. So I hope that some of this isn't overly autobiographical because I'm not sure how I feel. Yeah. Uh, but in in this age, this this era, a couple of years of, of pandemic, it really does feel like it has been long <laughs> enough to define it as an era. It's an era. It's like <laughs> that might be an overstatement. Yeah. It's just been a couple of years, but it's, it was like the second Avengers movie. It was the Age of Ultron. <laughs> it was more like the Weekend of Ultron. But no, like yeah. this really feels like it's been the age of. COVID, yeah. Well, and the I think the impact that it's had, you, you know, there's some some right. events that that happen in our lives and in our society that just make such an impact, even if they they happen in a moment, the impact and fallout of from them is decades long. Yeah. So yeah, one of one of those the crisis crises of meaning. Um, I'm I'm thinking of that that age of covid and how churches were handling that and just how much toll that took on leaderships again whether that's the shepherds elders whether that's the preachers or ministers um along with that coupling that with a political season um, those two things together and i know i've thought before just personally you wonder what sort of difference you're making in the thoughts of the people to whom you're preaching. And you see things that these people who whom you love and whom are who are good people, um, Christian believing people, trying to, you know, all of us are trying to do the best that, that we can do and be faithful to the Lord. But you see things that they put on Facebook. Uh, there are things they share, content they shared that gives you windows into how they think and what they believe, um, opinions that they express at church or to you uh, interpersonally. And it, it can feel as though every, 
everyone, that's an overstatement, but it can feel as though such a large person of your church just already has their minds made up about everything. And, and, and even if they're hungry for a word from the Lord, it's possible that they're not looking to the ministry staff at their local congregation for that word, but they've got their own podcasts. They've got their own um, Christian celebrities. I know that's kind of a pejorative way of putting it. Um, and I don't, those can be great figures. <clears throat> I know I've what you mean. My, I've got my own. So, yeah. Some of those, some of those folks are great. And some of them are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know? Right. Yeah. And they're being they're being discipled, willingly discipled by these other people that they mm -hmm. these voices on TV or on, on their podcast or these books or whatever represent uh, what they what these parishioners of mine already believe or want to believe, want to have convert confirmed in them. Mm -hmm. And so then as a minister, it's just delicate, tricky. How do you what do you say in, in the cacophony of voices and um, how do you add to that or how do you slice through it and make do some good in your church? And then you, um, yeah, you labor through a difficult season and you pray and you work to hold the congregation together. And you still then see people who walk out the door because of, um, you know, yeah, what because the church didn't handle this thing during the pandemic. Well, just as one example, and there's other reasons, but people who you strive to, to, to hold together and you think, I'm, I don't know that I can, I don't know if anybody can do this. I certainly don't know if I can do this. Um, is my work making any difference? Are people listening to, to what I'm saying? Um, is God using this? Uh, or, or is this just, you know, a place that people come for an event and they, they bide their time through the sermon or through the teaching, uh, but not that interested in any of it. And so if, if you have a congregation that, that doesn't feel like you're impacting, then I, I think you start thinking, why am I doing this anyway? Um, there's probably other things I could be doing that would be easier jobs in some sense that that wouldn't be so um consuming like ministry is consuming mm -hmm. that would probably pay better than what i'm uh making at you know at my church and uh you start going through the list of and and, and the headache of having to to deal with with folks who are disgruntled about this or that so uh there's there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged uh, not there's also reasons to be encouraged but yeah. there, there's plenty of reasons to to be discouraged yeah i i'm gonna i'm gonna comment and take this in a slightly apocalyptic perspective <laughs> okay and um and then we can get to the other things that you wanted to say so this is me right this is not matt love this is me um social media has has been great for allowing people to uh connect and to share their joys i mean i mean how easy is it for you know your extended family to all get to see pictures of your little ones growing up right because you can share that stuff on social media and that man what a blessing to e even if you can't physically be present you can at least 
you know, witness some of those kinds of things, um, you know, even from a distance. Um, but I think what social media has, I think the real, the real devil in the system is the ease with which we can, um, that we can engage in confirmation bias and, and find ourselves in feedback loops where we, we just get all the things that we already want to think, and we can continually be fed those things further strengthening and reinforcing those kind, uh, those kinds of ideas, uh, along with that, um, the stuff that tends to get more interest on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and everywhere else is the stuff that's more, uh, more anger inducing than, uh, than joy inducing. And so here's, here's where the apocalypticism comes in. <clears throat> um, the stuff that tends to anger people, I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily the case, but this to me at least seems to be the case, tends to be the case. The stuff that seems to be more anger-inducing is is usually stuff that's politically based. And I am afraid that a lot of our church members, uh, they wouldn't say this about themselves, but they were – I wonder if they're struggling with another religion – and that's the religion of politics and the worship of political power in order to, you know, it, 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 even as well-meaning as, you know, using political power in order to you know, help others and do things that while well, we see Jesus, you know, teaching us to do, um, I've, I can't help but wonder if, you know, as, as people are further entrenched into their own perspectives on you know how the world ought to operate mm -hmm. it's easy for us to say well as a christian you should do x y and z or as a christian you should vote for a b and c and what ends up happening is a lot of times ministers kind of stand somewhere in the middle of this wild you know quadrant of you know social and political um convictions and we say y'all uh let's let's point toward the cross because the cross is going to pull us from all of these different directions towards towards jesus and now that i can see everything basically everything that anybody thinks as soon as they think it if they can get online and and, and share that it's much easier for me to be disheartened and to to say man like it, it, d it does what i do really mean anything that's my understanding of crisis of, of one crisis of meaning which i think dovetails fairly fairly well with how you've put it does that make does that make sense like am, am i off base there yeah no makes sense uh, who am i to disagree with you uh dr burr <laughs> but um now, what, one of the things that I'm interested in as a minister is how do we how do we bind our people 
this obviously ultimately the work of God, but how do we how do we bind our people so that the next COVID that comes along doesn't um, tear us apart or the next political season or the next whatever it is um, controversy in this congregation or whatever? How do we work day by day in times of of relative peace to foster that sort of thick unity that can weather the next storm? And I think part of what we've seen in past crises is there's something missing that's holding this group of people, some of some of these groups of some of the people in this group of people together. There's there's connections that aren't there that mm-hmm. make it easy for someone. Um, one of the most discouraging things to me during the pan- pandemic, uh, just again anecdotally, yeah, was the sense that I got from others that the congregation wasn't really of of much value. That this congregation and the one 20 minutes away or the one five minutes away are more or less interchangeable interchangeable i go to church to worship god it's between me and god and if this church isn't you know letting me do that or as easily or conveniently or to my preferences as much as i i would like then it's i can just pick up and move very very easily and that that was discouraging to me to see that sort of mentality in even people who'd been at a church for for several years and i know i'm over overly simplifying that i'm sure i'm sure there's a bit of a struggle there to leave a leave a group of people but it it didn't seem to matter as much as i wanted it to for them yeah. that it, this wasn't just a congregation this was the church to which God had called them to be faithful and to live out their lives and to wrestle with, um, you know, even when they disagreed to stay and to fight and to, to weather long, difficult storms. And instead, sometimes the the mentality that's come through is, you know, it's like I could shop at the Walmart in my town. I could shop at it in the next town. It doesn't, I get the same products and, um, yeah, I, I'm a little more, I try to be a little more mother bear about, you know, this church and protective of, mm-hmm. what you, you know, uh, this is a special place, you know, don't treat the BB church of Christ. Like it's just another dollar general, or it's just another church. Uh, Matt, there's is- your next sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I I think that's a great point. Um, And I really like how you put that too. You know, this, this church to which God has called you, you know, whoever this is in our hypothetical situation here, you know, man, it'd be great if every church member recognized, Hey, perhaps God wants me here, right? This isn't just because I like the start time. So they've got a, they've got this good, you know, program or, you know, I, I like their, you know, their preacher's funny or whatever. I'm like, God wants me here because he's got a, he's got a specific mission for me to, in, to uh, 
to embody here at this particular congregation and to bail on that congregation without any kind of serious you know, discussion or you know, prayer or you know, sense that perhaps God is pushing you elsewhere, to just bail on them, man, that's too... That, that that's that's mutually harmful to the individual and to the congregation who lost that individual or their family or whatever. Well, and if I could add this, just I know you you want to shift the conversation, and and this is to not put to not put the whole uh, onus of blame on 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 those folks. Yeah, but also some of our churches, and I, I think even our congregation. Uh, fell into this if if we could have a redo of how we handled parts of what we did during the pandemic i think we would gladly take a redo on some things mm -hmm. but one of the things that that some churches communicated to to members was attendance didn't really matter um you can it's all the same to stay home and watch online um it's not the you know, your involvement in this congregation isn't ultimately important, but rather physical safety or, uh, you know, other things. And so for right or wrong, I, I think several folks also got the message of um, that church attendance and church participation wasn't really essential to their lives. And yeah. they stopped coming. And after that, they realized, yeah, there's something to that. Um, and so they're still not back. Uh, so anyway, it's, it's on, I, I don't want to just put all the blame on, on a certain kind of folks. Yeah, um, that's fair. Folks like me, I've got, I've got my own things that I, um, prayerfully need to work through. Yeah. Well, it's, that's good to bring some balance to this issue because you're right. Um, there were, there were churches that were willing to, um, you know, willing to disregard any any and every right sense of you know keeping others safe and there were those that seemed to swing hard the other direction and uh, there were individuals who felt those different ways and the the whole thing was was pretty messy and pretty ugly um as people have talked about for the last you know year and a half now so Matt, in order to support ministers then who might feel as if Maybe they're experiencing some crisis of meaning in what they're doing. You recommended five things. And for those of you who grew up in Churches of Christ, lists of five are certainly our favorite number. <laughs> Most Christians, it's three or yeah, yeah. Seven, but yeah. not us. We enjoy lists of five here in the Churches of Christ. Um, Matt, start us out here. I don't know if you have the list in front of you. I've got it in front of me. Uh, you might have already internalized that, though, uh, <laughs> since you're working on preaching without notes, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, out, Matt, what was the first thing that you recommended that uh, that churches can do in order to support their ministers? Was it pray for them? It was right. pray for your ministers okay. <laughs> okay, and good. let them know. All right, so I'll just read the list, and then you can riff on it. Pray for your ministers and let them know you do. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have had people who tell me that they pray for me every day. 
And that is really disorienting to me, humbling um, to, to hear this person thinks of me or what I'm doing as so valuable as to include me and my name and what I do here, this church in their daily prayers. Yeah. And I've had more than one person tell me that. And the, um, you know, as far as meaning goes, we, we tend to pray for things that are, are meaningful to us. And when you go through a trauma or a crisis in your family or your personal life, and you have people praying for you, you, you know what that means when you have, have a, a family around you who are genuinely thinking about you and praying for you hour by hour. So, um, yeah, to hear from people that, that, what I do matters so much to them that they would pray about it consistently uh, is a surge of of encouragement to me. So I, I just recommend, and I know we're cautious about letting people know what we pray because we don't want to lose those stars in our crown. Um, and Christ says in Matthew 6 to not let your left hand know what your right hand's doing and to sure. go into your room, to, you know, but I do think um, letting people know that you're praying for them can be a, a really big boost of encouragement. Absolutely. It, it's funny how you, you mentioned the word disorienting. And I was like, man, what a great word to use to describe this. Um, to some degree, it makes me uncomfortable to have someone tell me that they're praying for me because I like to think that I'm competent and I've got it together. And hearing someone say that they're praying for you is, like you said, humbling. And I don't like to be humbled, but it's necessary. Mm -hmm. And it's also, it is also encouraging to know that people do think what you do matters, just like you said, that what you do matters and that it's worth, it's worth them uh, going, going to God. To talk about that, it, it's worth them engaging in the spiritual warfare to pray God's uh, blessing and protection over you and um, and, and to goodness um, and to ensure or, or to help, you know, do what they can to ensure that um, that your that your witness and your testimony, your ministry and things like that, they're not going to get tanked by um by the enemy's uh, advances. Um, I was uh, talking with a, a friend in ministry just the other day, telling me about a situation at the church that they work at. And I asked, I asked the question, you know, are, is this, is this an indication that you need to, you need to leave? Or is this an indication that um, Satan is trying to ruin something worthwhile. And uh, they felt pretty strongly that it was the latter, that Satan was trying to ruin something worthwhile. And, um, you know, prayer was, was what they needed. Yeah. Kind of wakes you up to in, in ministry. Mm -hmm. It's, it's easy to get into ruts of, I want to say phone it in, but you do it, you, you know, you preach enough sermons or teach enough classes or whatever task that it is, you do that enough times and you sort of develop a method um, step by step. And then 
the development and the preaching of a sermon can feel like you're just flipping a patty on the grill, you know? Yeah. And yeah. To have someone say they're praying about that, like you said, it's not just competence, but it's it's also um, there's this mundaneness to to what ministry can feel like week to mm-hmm. week, and it can wake you up and, and help you have the perspective that reminds you that what you're doing is eternally significant. Yeah. Yeah. Item number two that Matt suggested that we do to uh, support our ministers, uh, particularly for people who are not the preaching minister or not one of the ministers, listen appreciatively to their preaching and teaching. And as somebody who teaches, uh, you know, starting Sunday, I'm going to be teaching twice a week here at church and then uh, once a week for HST. Amen, brother. (laughs) Listen, Listen appreciatively to their preaching and teaching. Matt, it should be obvious, but why is that such a big deal? Well, I wonder if if listeners don't um, assume a very passive posture when it comes to listening to classes and mm-hmm. and to sermons. And even our auditorium, we call it an auditorium, which has something to do with audit listening. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our our elders, who's big into music, has complained about that before because it gives you it gives the impression of coming and sitting and listening, and being very passive. And the appreciative aspect of that is also the the active listening part of it too. Is as a listener, you you bring something to the table as well. Now it is the speaker, the teacher's task to. Uh, make listening easy <laughs> to a degree, uh, you know, to get through to the listener, the onus falls on the speaker more than the listener probably, but the listener too has bring something there. And I, I can think even right now, I can think of faces and I, I think of faces when I'm preaching because those faces are lit up and, and lifted up to me and they don't turn away from, from me when I'm speaking or their eye contact doesn't fall away very often. <laughs> and when everyone else in the congregation looks bored or checking the watch or getting up to go to the restroom, and I'm feeling, I'm wondering if anyone is listening, those people in my church, and I can think of them right now, uh, are a boost of encouragement to me because I know they're listening. Uh, I know they're taking notes. And um, the truth of the matter is, I know that not every sermon that I give is a stellar performance, is groundbreaking, um, or as good as the podcast that they just listened to. But um, still, there's got to be something in in what I am saying, even if it's just the passage that I read, you know, only (laughs) the Bible passage and nothing I add to it. There's something there that's worth seeing and listening to and, and grabbing hold of. So, um, actively and appreciative, list, appreciatively listening to to your preacher, your teachers um, means the world. It's such a big part of what I do is is it, at the ministry of teaching and and preaching. And so, um, yeah, that means a lot when I know people are listening to what I what I bring. Yeah, but just like in any relationship, whether it's uh, you know a work relationship or. Uh, your spouse or with your children or just other family members, expressing your appreciation 
for the good things that they do, even if they're supposed to do it, right? Even if your kids are supposed to do their chores, um, <clears throat> or even if you know it's your your job to take out the trash and your wife's job to do this and that, and you know, like you kind of split the household duties. Just expressing your appreciation for the things that they do, even if they're supposed to do them, goes a long way. Anytime our boys remember to take their plates from the table and put them either in the sink or the dishwasher, I try to tell them, hey, thanks for doing that. Or if they'll do something else. Um, oh, what was it? There's something the other day that uh, our older son did. He was uh, like on his own initiative. We were either like getting ready to go or something. I'm going to I'm going to pretend that what I'm saying actually happened. It's not exactly this, but it was something along these lines. So I, I'm giving in a, an accurate account without being precise. He like grabbed his brother's water bottle and brought it brought it to the door with him. So because he knew that they were both having it's like, hey, Pete, buddy, that was awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for your minister who feels the weight of you know you know the dozens or hundreds of people's you know burdens and things that they carry um for your minister to feel that weight and for them to try to speak encouragement or conviction into that week in and week out for somebody to say hey i appreciate what you said or uh something along those lines yeah that man that goes a long way so yeah well I, the I I don't know how much time we have. I don't want to belabor this. But, We're good, so, man. We're good. Okay. Well, I was just going to add to that that analogy of your family. I think that's a really good in insight because uh, the the saying is familiarity brings breeds contempt, and um, and you know when we have when we're with people day by day, like our spouse, it it can become easier to not really listen to them when they speak. Whereas if we're around someone new because of the newness, it's easier. So if a guest preacher comes or a guest teacher comes to the church, I mean, they, they're already, they start on third base basically, because yeah. it's just something different and it's, yeah. it's difference is exciting. But when you're listening to the same preacher week after week for years, then it, I think it takes even more work for the listener, intentional work to say, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to engage because, because I'm used to Matt or Kevin or whomever, it's easier to check out or to assume I know what they're going to say or how they're going to say it. Uh, but I'm going to choose to engage instead. Yeah. Familiarity breeds contempt. What a wild proverb. It really, it should be you know, Christians should push back on that and say it's like lack of love, like lack of expressed love uh, breeds contempt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're right. You're right, man. The guest preacher, the guest teacher, <laughs> they uh, it's easy for them to hit a home run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Number three, block and tackle for your minister. I love that. And as, as soon as I read that, I was like, man, my elders are really good at that. I like these guys. What do you mean by that, Matt? It, I think I know what you mean. What do you mean by block and tackle for your minister? And tell us about your illustrious history as a football player. <laughs> I have zero uh, history <laughs> as a football player, unless you consider like 
football, you know, outside of the United States. Oh, that, spelled with like, a U and an accent mark. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I played. I did play soccer in high school, and I love that. But block and tackle. I I basically meant by that make make your preacher's life easier and not more difficult. Assume the best. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And that even takes place behind closed doors and conversations with other people who might be griping about something that's going on in the church um, to block and tackle for your church leaders. I keep saying preacher, but I just mean minister, mm -hmm. um, shepherds, really for one another in the church. Um, we ought to assume the best about each other. And uh, we all need encouragement and we all need help. And ultimately, we, we all want what's best for one another and for the entire body. And so um, getting in each other's ways or making making our ways difficult doesn't do anyone any good. And, um, you know, helping your leaders in the church is a great way to help your church. So, you, you know, someone may not necessarily like their preacher, but they like their church. And even if you didn't care that much for your leader, this or that leader of something, you probably have a heart for the work of the church or for this ministry that this person is over um, and have a vested interest in that. That impacts all of us. And I thought of um, Paul's line in, in Ephesians 5, that uh, my favorite passage on marriage in, in the Bible when he talks about no one's ever hated his own flesh. And mm -hmm. the point that he's making, as I recall, is, you know, when, when a spouse does, does good to the other spouse, that has a reciprocal effect that, um, that you're doing good to them, but it also comes back. So if you do harm to one another, that harm comes back on yourself. And um, if we love the body of Christ, then uh, we are loving ourselves. And, and when we pour into the body of Christ and when we help our ministers and our leaders, we're really helping ourselves. We're not just helping them, but we're helping the impact of the church uh, in our community. Yeah, man, man, I'm all about that. That's great. I, um, I, I have had to learn this over the years. Uh, I, there was a preacher at a church that I had attended to attended for a little while. And, um, we had a couple of not let's be honest not really bad interactions but just they just didn't go the way that i i thought they should um like they just like maybe maybe we just didn't get each other or whatever else like that and for a while i i just yeah just didn't like the guy just didn't like him and um you know after at some after some point I've matured enough to say, you know, he's probably not a bad dude, right? He's not a bad guy. We just didn't get off on the right foot for whatever reason. And I was sensitive enough to to think that, you know, he must have it out for me or something like that. And, you know, chances are, God doesn't even remember my name. And so I was, you know, I, I was just annoyed at this for a while and then gradually began to see it's like you know just give him the benefit of the doubt man he he might have been handling a bunch of other stuff and i i caught him on you know one or two bad days or something like that and it's really tempting also especially amongst um you know church members who deal with uh 
you know, do deal with um, you elders or even amongst even amongst church staff, right? It's easy to to have a couple of not ideal experiences and then to assume the worst about the person all the time. And so you're right. Um, giving the benefit of the doubt, you know, not not thinking that they're you know, they're out to get you or something like that. You know, somebody words their emails a little uh, a little abruptly. They're not trying to be rude necessarily. Maybe they're just used to succinct communication because of their job, and so that's how they that's how they do it. You know, not every not everybody sends their text messages like me. It's like, hey, good morning, how's it going? Hope hope you had a great Christmas break. Everything's going well. Uh, hey, by the way, can we can we talk about this thing? Yeah, not everybody does that. Yeah, Matt, number four was uh, your personal plea for a raise. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was by, yeah, I was underhanded or what do you call that? Through the back door. Yeah, no. Um, number four, financially compensate your ministers appropriately. And you mentioned how you had been speaking with a friend who uh, kind of uh, maybe joked or not joked about the vow of poverty that it seems many churches uh, thrust onto their ministers. Matt, what's the deal there? Mm. Yeah, uh, probably multiple things going on. Um, and I did put the disclaimer at the bottom of the, the article. You, you did, yeah. That my church has been good to me and my <laughs> wife. So, um, yeah, and, and you know, I, I can immediately think of multiple people in ministry or who have been in ministry who are not doing stellar in financially and um, not at any fault of their own bad spending or that kind of thing, but just because their job in ministry doesn't, doesn't pay super well. So they're struggling looking ahead to retirement or maybe they're in retirement and uh, just makes things really difficult. And uh, I wish it were not that way. And not every church has members and the sort of income that can support uh, a preacher as well as maybe this other church. So there's all kinds of variables there, yeah. but if possible, support, support your minister and, um, that's all done in my understanding from what I've, I've heard and, and studied, you support a minister so that that person can basically focus on their ministry and not have to be anxious about their, their family's posi financial position, you know, their dwindling bank accounts, their retirement in a few years. You take all of that off the table by supporting them well so that they don't have to look for another job or a second job. Um, and some of that may look like um, members reaching more deeply into their pockets to give. And I, I grew up in a small church, a smaller, we had less than 100 people in it. And I was a kid then, so I don't, don't really know the intricacies of the financial situation there but i'm thinking of of smaller might even say single cell or less than 100 uh people churches 
um, that you think, well, we don't have money in the budget for for that. Um, well, it may be that people, the people there in the pews could or might should be able to reach a little more deeply into their pockets in order to make the life of their minister more easily. So just feeling like you're, well, there's nothing in the budget for that. We can't give a raise. Um, that doesn't necessarily work as a cop out. Uh, if you value your minister, again, if you value your church uh, and you're able to uh, give that person a livable uh, sal salary for them, for their family, for where they live, for the stage of life that they're in, and take take care of them in that way, you're doing um, a, a good service yeah, to them, to the kingdom. Yeah. 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 Um, I had a minister friend a while ago who was uh, working for, uh, again, like you described, a smaller church. And um, <clears throat> per that church's agreement, uh, the, that church was supposed to give him a raise after six months. And uh, after six months went by, uh, one of the elders uh, mentioned that to him and said, you know, you were supposed to get a raise after six months, right? And he said, yeah. And uh, the elder said, I just don't see how we can do that. And that was the end of the discussion. One yeah. one brought up again. And I mean, it was it was tough for him to hear, but like, what what could he do, right? Um, yeah. And so, man, I had another point that I was going to, oh, oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is, right? And Matt, this is not you, okay? This is me. So if anybody's hearing this, right, the, this is not Matt's take. This is my hot take, okay? It is never appropriate, my opinion. This is never appropriate for any church to ask the minister that you are hiring or that you want to hire what their spouse does so you can get a sense of the kind of income that they have to justify how little or much you pay your, your minister. Because in what other world does it matter what your spouse makes? For your job, I just I I know that 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 that's not the situation here, but I know that there are there are people out there who deal with that, and it is so bizarre and and wild to think that 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 would have any any uh, any that would bear any weight whatsoever on uh, on this issue. No. Well, and I would add to all of that, I think those are all good points. It, it, sometimes it just takes one person uh, and the eldership to take care of your minister financially. And I, I think that the the church is run by volunteers primarily. And um, like in our congregation, there's a couple of us that are paid. Um, besides that, it's all volunteers. And um uh, yeah, you know, I think of some of the people who take take up the responsibility to oversee things like that in our church that I'm I'm very grateful for. But it it's you think it's nobody's job. It's got to be somebody's job to say I'm going to block and tackle for the minister. I'm going to be the elder in the room who has the preacher's best interest in mind and who's going to. Um, have the conversation and bring up the conversation rather than 
make it on the minister for for them to bring it up. So yeah, one one person can make all the difference in the world there. Yeah, I think so. Matt, the fifth thing you said, yeah, include your ministers. And I love how you said, I know that we preacher types can be odd. And then in parentheses right after that, somebody in my own church reading this just laughed too loud. <laughs> I felt just just like you think of faces when you're putting uh -huh. together your sermons. I feel like you were thinking of some faces when you <laughs> when you wrote Definitely. that line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Matt, what do you mean by include your minister? Well, the we're going back to the issue of meaning and of discouragement. And there's there's few things that are as discouraging as feeling isolated and feeling like you are a hired hand in the church, especially in churches of Christ. Our polity is kind of a little wonky, in my opinion. Um, yeah. the, the, the preacher is... So I mean it's it's good and it's it's also kind of wonky. explain what you mean by that because I think I know what you mean by that but yeah, I so, bet there's somebody here listening and say well, what are you talking about that's the way they did it in the Bible that's right yeah so maybe so but <laughs> so, it's up um, for debate that's yeah up for debate here but the um, in our polity in our organization and hierarchy of who's who's in charge in the in in churches. Uh, we appeal to a board, multiple elders in the church is what we think is the, the typical way that that was done. Yeah. But one of the things and, that- And we see that we, we see that in scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we see definitely. elders yeah. and deacons, we see that in scripture. No doubt about it. Yes. And, um, but it, it can relegate the way that we organize the church. It can relegate the minister to something that's not uh, pastoral or shepherding. So that the minister, and this gets back even to Reformation, um, priesthood of all believers sort of thing, um, and then that's an emphasis in, in Churches of Christ, too, is, is hey, everyone's a, a priest, uh, so everybody can preach. And so the minister is, um, is, is really no, I don't know, uh, just kind of in no man's land there between right. a leader in the church, but really not a leader in the church. So maybe it's a maybe it's a genius checks and balance sort of thing, <laughs> but um, the the person who's typically doing the teaching, which in my uh, seems to me to be a, a shepherd um, from Scripture's emphasis on shepherds who teach mm -hmm. uh, the sheep know the, the shepherd's voice um, is typically the preacher. So I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but that no man's land is kind of a good, maybe a good image for the preacher that it can. It was isolating. You said it was isolating. isolating. Yeah. And, and just, just a hired hand. You're, you know, you're mm -hmm. not even really in the leadership, not maybe like de facto have some leadership, but the de jour actual leadership here is the elders and not you. And then the, the church also looking the other way, um, knows that the preacher's not them also. Right. And on paper, so, the elders have sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, on paper, and based on what we see in scripture, the elders have power and authority. And a lot of times, preachers, perhaps maybe it's better to specify in predominantly white churches of Christ. 
Because I think subcultural subcultural differences make a difference. I think I could be wrong, and I'm more than happy to talk with um, w with some friends who are not in predominantly white churches of Christ. Who ministers are not in predominantly white churches of Christ to um, yeah, to correct me. But I, I think sometimes there are differences, at least based on what these individuals have told me that I'm thinking of. Um, and again, that's that's my take, not Matt's. Okay, so if you're listening, you know, you know, don't don't pin that on on Matt. But elders have the power and authority. The preachers carry out the duties and the expectations, or the ministers carry the duties and the expectations with what can can be no power and authority either. If if that was pressed, now a lot of times a lot of elderships are good at sharing power and authority, but um, it yeah, it really can be that basically that. Uh, um that divided yeah so and, uh, anyway go ahead I feel like and i know ministers who felt this way like a hired hand i mean um you have bosses and you're going to do this or you're going to whatever um so the inclusion you mentioned with elders and unfortunately um my elders here have have i think made an intentional effort to include me and i'm, I'm grateful for that and i'm not an elder and i don't I, at this point in my life, don't aspire to be one. <laughs> but um, but the the sense of um, being included in the leadership is huge. My my point in the article on that that note was included as a human and as a Christian, yeah. and because we can be different, um, because the the preacher just feels. I mean, I've been so anecdotal here again. Um, this was in my own family at a funeral and go out in the parking lot to see someone and they're smoking a cigarette and I walk up and they like try to throw it away really quick <laughs> and and like hide it from me. I'm like, you're smoking a cigarette. What is going on? I could literally smell it on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> the smoke is right there under your foot. I can see it. But it's, you know, it's like, we, like I come from another planet or like I wouldn't yeah. understand if, if someone, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So and, and again, it's like this, this other, the preacher is, is other. And um, I think that's really deadly for, for uh, a long-term relationship in a church. And that, that'd be a great conversation uh, at some point to have. A longer talk about what does uh, an intimate friendship connection look like with a minister and and uh, their congregation, because yeah. it, there are some things to be mindful of, and I, I don't think it's my task to be 100% transparent with every person in the church. I mean, no, none of us would do that. But it's a practical impossibility. Yeah, practical. Yeah, and but yeah. but there ought to be real friends, not just people who like feel obligated to invite you to different functions but true friends who are who see you as a friend mm -hmm. and i think if you're missing that in a church um i don't know if you'll be there for very long or you'll just be miserable uh through your through your your working there but having real friends who include you is is a lifesaver yeah matt let me let me pose this one last question and then we can kind of uh, kind of summarize and wrap up here Talk about the importance of true friends at a church. Why do you think is it sometimes difficult for ministers to gain real, genuine friends 
in the congregations they serve? Hmm. Well, uh, one of one of those first thing that comes to my mind is the the length of the tenure with the church. Sure. And, uh, <clears throat> a minister who's not with the church for very long um, is going to have a hard time really. Naturally. Relationships just take time, and yeah. those they fall into place. You can you can work on them, but you also can't really force them. So it's a t part of it's a time equation. Uh, part of it's on the minister. You know, I, I know I can, as an introverted person, I can um, want to go read my books and withdraw, work on my lesson, be in my own yeah. mind, go with you know, spend that time with my family. And um, not all ministers are are extroverted. Probably most aren't extroverted. It uh, amazes me how many of my friends who are in ministry are introverts. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. <laughs> not the stereotype. The stereotype is, you know, the megachurch pastor who's outgoing and confident, boisterous. Buddies and, with everybody. Uh, yeah, um, it's. It's really funny. Um, oh, somebody said this years ago, and it just it struck me as odd that a lot of people go into ministry um, thinking that you know, it's going to be really relational. And what ends up happening is they find themselves kind of isolated. A lot of people go into uh, scholarship and uh, you know academic teaching because they love uh, reading and study, and they find that they're constantly surrounded by students and on committees and things like that. So. Yeah. But yeah, that that makes sense that it can, uh, you know, just the length of time uh, can be there. Uh, there is uh, also ministers do kind of pick up on this that um, sometimes it's it, it is tough to discern is this person in my congregation are are they warming up to me because they genuinely love me and care about me, or is it because I have this title, mm -hmm. and then if I no longer have this title. Are we done? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a real concern. So, yeah. Well, Matt, this is a stellar list, and like I said, I'm going to link to this in the description of the of the episode here. Matt, is there anything else? Any uh, any kind of final opinion you want to put in on this of how we can support our ministers, um, or maybe like what's one good small step that somebody can do? To begin the process of um, of uh, you know in a healthy way supporting supporting their church's ministers. Yeah, I would just say um, next time you see your minister, let them know that they mean something to you. Send them a card, that kind of thing, um, and then periodically let them know that that they mean something to you. That you're praying for them. I think that'd go a long way. Yeah, Matt. Really appreciate your time today, sir. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Take care, brother. Oh, before we go, before we go, I, I wanted to mention this. Um, you had uh, talked about um, you know, maybe a conversation for another time, talking with another minister about, um, about the process of gaining friends or something or like you know, friendship and ministry. Uh, you, you named the other minister. And the three of us will have that conversation here on the podcast, okay? I'm that sounds great. Dangle that carrot there. You pick your other minister, and we'll do that, okay? Uh, that sounds great. Right. Love you, Matt. Love you too, Kevin. Thank you. Bye-bye.